Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Straight Up Texas podcast presented by Whataburger. Uh, as we continue to talk all things Texas uh, while bringing some really, really interesting conversations uh, to you, including the one we're going to have today with Rangers general manager Chris Young, who, as you probably know, DFW native from Highland Park High School, uh, played for the Rangers, a part of his 13-year big league career, and is now back with the Rangers in a leadership role, helping to usher in this next generation of Rangers baseball. We talked to him about that and more. Alongside the great J.B. Saucedo, Texas humor, Jared Sandler with you. And uh, I'm really excited for our conversation, uh, and we'll get to that in uh, in a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm always curious to hear uh, you know anyone talk – about all of the, the mechanics behind the management of the baseball teams. I just think that the, the front offices are such an interesting place that a lot of people don't really think a lot about. So that's going to be a, a fun conversation. But, you know, as always, this is the uh, Straight Up Texas podcast, and we're here to talk about Texas, too. So we'll ask uh, CY a little bit about celebrating all things Texas uh, there, too. But uh, in the meantime, there is some uh, some chatter around uh, the offseason for the Rangers and uh, what that's going to look like, uh, Jared. So have you thought much about that? Uh, what, what, what that's going to look like. I have. And I'm also thinking about how I'm going to get in trouble if I don't mention our, uh, our friends at Whataburger. Oh, I and... always, I always, no, do no, this. no, this yeah. was my fault. Uh, this, I, I meant to mention this earlier and I put you in a position to fail. And so I apologize, which means Whataburger on me specifically, <laughs> uh, the hatch green chili bacon burger. I, I will admit I have not tried this yet. But I'm very excited to try it. I did have the Pico de Gallo burger the other day, and it is unbelievable. But the Hatch Green Chili Bacon Burger and the Hatch Green Chili Bacon Chicken Sandwich uh, are both available. And as always, some of these specialty items, limited time. So you can get all the the goodies. We're going to ask Chris Young, like we ask everyone, their favorite Whataburger order. uh, And I'm sure... We're going to get something awesome there. But a lot of times people go with the standard stuff that's on the menu 12 months out of the year. It's the safe play. And that stuff's great. That's why Whataburger is what it is. However, every once in a while you go through the drive-thru, you see something that's there that maybe wasn't there the last time and it piques your interest. And you go through the drive-thru now, it's going to be the Hatch Green Chili Bacon Burger. And if you're more on the, you know, the chicken side, the Hatch Green Chili Bacon Chicken Sandwich. Uh, so you got to check that out. I owe you that because I forgot and then thus puts you in a bad spot. So no, I you know, sincerely apologize. No, honestly, I should have remembered it too, because hatch green chilies this time of year are kind of like pumpkin spice where yeah, like yeah. the weather just gets like marginally cooler. And then suddenly it's hatch green chili season. So now I, uh, I I'm with you there and uh, now I'm hungry again. So yeah. Anyway. So you, you asked about the off season, right? Yeah. I'm curious, you know, uh, baseball fanatic, obviously you are. And uh the uh, Rangers season just came to an end. So what does the off season look like for the Rangers in your mind? Well, first of all, I, I do need to share that uh, as we are having this conversation, the White Sox are currently beating the Astros one, nothing. And so I'm in a really good mood. Uh, it is uh, October 8th. So game two uh, of the ALDS, hopefully when you are listening to this, uh, oh, this game will be done. Otherwise it's going to be like 120 inning game. If it's still going, but hopefully when you're listening to this, uh, you think, yeah, hey, the White Sox held on and, and they won the game. But uh, the Rangers obviously are, are, are hoping to be in this position. They, they want to be playing baseball right now. And it's not an overnight thing. 
you know, with where the Rangers are, you know, you don't go from losing 102 games to winning 102 like that in one off season. It's, it's a gradual change and it's, it's a little bit unlike say football. Uh, you know, there's a lot of parody in football there, you know, there's the, the whole idea that they're going to be, you know, half the teams that made the playoffs the year before are not going to make it the next year. And maybe drafting a quarterback can just totally change the complexion of your organization. Well, baseball doesn't have that, uh, that frequency or, or, or the frequency is not there in baseball to just make these uh, sustainable transformations uh, of great significance overnight. Uh, you know, in the NBA, you draft LeBron James, all of a sudden you go from being the worst team in the league to an NBA finals contender. You know, it's just, it doesn't work that way in baseball. You draft a player like the Rangers drafted Jack Leiter with the second overall and whomever they draft this upcoming draft uh, next year with the third pick, it's still going to take a couple years, at least for these guys to make it to the big league. So, you know, the Rangers, I, I think sticking with the plan is in general, what needs to happen. The, the organizations who find themselves in perpetual rebuild mode or organizations that succumb to outside pressures and don't stick to the plan. And we don't necessarily know exactly what that plan is. Uh, but for the Rangers this off season, you know, there are a few tasks that I think are important. One uh, is making the right strategic decisions to get their roster trimmed down to 40 players, which is a requirement that everybody deals with. Uh, and it's always a challenge because without getting into too much uh, uh, baseball 303, so to speak, you've got to protect certain guys in your minor leagues from the Rule 5 draft. Thus, you've got to put them on the 40-man roster. You've got to account for external acquisitions. And then guys who are currently on the 60-day IL, they have to be added to the 40-man roster or you have to remove them from the 40-man roster. Whereas when the season is going on, they can be on the 60 day IL and they do not count towards that. They cannot be there during the off season. So that is always a challenge for any team, but I think the Rangers probably have more in the way of young prospects for whom there will be tough decisions as to whether or not to add them to the 40 man roster. And there's going to be a lot of strategy involved. Obviously, you know, everyone focuses on the acquisitions and we'll get here in a second to a, a big named acquisition uh, but the Rangers are, are in a position where they're going to need to, you know, make sure that the roster has veteran leadership, some veteran depth. You want to uh, promote competition. You don't want some of your young guys who very well could be a part of your future to just have stuff handed to them. You know, if you are, uh, you know, Mike Trout, you go into the off season and spring training knowing you have a job. Like you don't need to, you have enough skins on the wall. You don't need to earn it. Uh, you have earned it. The Rangers don't have guys like that on their roster and that's okay. That's where they are. But what's important is to reinforce competition and making sure that, you know, you sign a veteran to play a particular position, say center field. So that Leody Tavares knows that he's got to win that job. He's a part of the future. But as far as the present, he's got to earn that. And, and you, you keep that dangling carrot. And so making shrewd moves like that, I think, is important. And then the big fish. You know, everyone always wants their team to sign a big fish. Sometimes it makes sense. Other times it does not. Uh, there are a lot of shortstops out there who are available, will be available in free agency. Uh, the, the name that, you know, resonates with me the most is Carlos Correa. Uh, there's DFW's Trevor Story who I think would also be a fantastic option. The Rangers have been very clear. Chris Young, the general manager, 
who you're going to hear from in a bit, and very clear along with John Daniels, money is not going to be an obstacle, which that is going to rule out two thirds of the teams for these, these players. You know, they, they're not willing or able to spend the money. That's not going to be a challenge for the Rangers, but the Rangers need to decide, you know, first of all, they need to, you know, want to, they want to be in a position where these guys want to play for the Rangers. And so they've got to convince them, but also the Rangers need to make sure that if they're going to invest $30 million a year in a player for eight plus years, that this guy's the right fit. And so, you know, the, 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 someone asked me the other day, Jay, what is the worst case scenario for the Rangers this off season? And I think a lot of people would say they don't sign one of these guys. They don't sign Correa. They don't sign story. They don't sign Marcus Simeon, one of these big name free agents. I would contend that the worst case is signing the wrong guy it is being stuck in a bad contract, a bad situation, because you were not able to determine some of those intangible elements that help you have a better idea. You're never going to know for sure, but a better idea whether a player is going to be a fit. And it's when you sign a guy to an $8 million deal for two years and they're not a fit, whatever you make it work, you figure it out. If you cut bait, you cut bait. You don't have that same luxury when you sign a guy to a 10 year, $300 million contract. And so that is going to be a, a, a significant task for the Rangers is not only trying to get one of these guys, but making sure that they're going after the right guy. Mm. What else should, you know, we be considering going into the off season outside of all, you know, what you covered? Well, we should consider that I need to just shut up because the Astros just scored. And so clearly I'm not <laughs> providing the right mojo. Uh, you know, Jay, the, the collective bargaining agreement is, is going to expire after the season ends. And that is a very nebulous thing to a lot of people. Uh, and, you know, even for me, I mean, uh, you know, I, I think people who they, you know, live in and, and, and eat, sleep, breathe baseball, th this thing is so ridiculously complex and, and all the things that go into it. And uh, it's agreed upon by the players and the owners. And sometimes agreements are reached without a fight, but uh, the, the idea is that this is not going to be the case. And there are a lot of hot button issues uh, that the players want to fight for, that the owners want to fight for. And it is going to create a lot of unknown and a lot of uncertainty. So what else do people need to know is that there's going to be a lot that no one really knows right off the bat until a collective bargaining agreement is reached, hopefully swiftly. You know, we don't want to lock out, don't want to strike, you know, don't want uh, any you know, labor, uh, you know, not, not obviously you want labor peace. You don't want any, uh, uh, you know, labor volatility or, you know, mom and dad, you know, they're going to argue, but we want mom and dad to still, you know, agree at the end of the day and, and love each other. And uh, right now it seems like mom and dad are arguing and, you know, they're not close to an agreement. That is, that is the vibe that has been presented. So, that is the biggest thing. And while it would take us hours to go through every bullet point that uh, that is going to be discussed and is going to be collectively bargained, what, what is worth mentioning is that there are going to be a number of bullet points that impact player movement and impact the, the decisions that teams would, in theory, be put in a position to make this offseason. And so uh, my guess is that your foot's on the brake until we get uh, – you know, we get some, some clarity and uh, uh, some, some union, I guess, in the collective bargaining agreement. Well, let's go down to the micro level and uh, jump in with uh, CY if uh, you're ready to talk to him about it then. Let, let, let's do it. Here we go. 
our conversation with Rangers general manager, Chris Young on the straight up Texas podcast presented by Whataburger. All right. Time now to chat with Rangers general manager, Chris Young here in this latest episode of the straight up Texas podcast, Chris, uh, thanks so much for being with us. And we got to lead off with the same question. We ask everyone to begin our conversations. Uh, what does straight up Texas mean to you? Yeah. Um, just real Texan, just uh, through and through Texan, Texan values, um, just embodies uh, our culture, our people, um, our state, our pride. And, um, and ultimately, it, it sort of is rooted in respect, um, respect for each other, uh, respect for our state. Um, that to me is straight up Texan. So one of the, the really neat things, and, and we talked about this actually the other day, and I know you've addressed this before. Uh, kids grow up wanting to play for their their favorite team, their hometown team. Uh, you did that. You you got to play the major league level with the Texas Rangers growing up here in DFW, and now you're you're helping to lead the organization in a different sense, uh, in a you know different perspective as the general manager. But again, still that that same team you grew up rooting for, the same community of folks uh, of which you were a part. Uh, what's that like? How have you, I guess, process that how neat it is that you've been able to do these things for the Rangers? Yeah, Jared. I mean, I think that growing up a Ranger fan, um, seeing games as a kid at old Arlington stadium, um, seeing my favorite players, my heroes, um, in that stadium. And then the transition over to globe life park, um, or the ballpark in Arlington. Um, and you know, watching games through my high school years there, and then becoming a professional player and um, getting traded to the Rangers and making my major league debut um, for this organization. It's the, the team I grew up rooting for. Truly, it, it's the Rangers have been in my blood since I was almost since I was born. Um, my love of baseball is completely related to the Texas Rangers. And uh, so now to have this opportunity to come home and to help um, lead uh, this franchise, a franchise that I absolutely has meant so much to me and I love dearly, um, nothing could be more fulfilling in my mind than, than doing this job and um, helping us win World Series championships. And, uh, you know, I have a connection to our fans um, and in a, probably a different sense in terms of I've been one forever um, and I love this organization equally uh, as much as every fan we have. And I understand um, their frustration at times, um, but also I'm grateful for their support. So speaking of the Rangers and, and I mentioned you, you played for the Rangers, you debuted there. And before we started recording, I, I asked what that picture is. You, you're, you're talking to us from your home office and there's a, a really neat picture behind you. And it appeared to be a scoreboard. And then you, yeah, as you, you adjust the camera, it clearly is. And it's, it's Fenway it's Park. Clearly not. It's clearly not not Globe Life Park. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. It is not. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't mind rehashing, uh, you did such a good job before we were rolling, and that's my fault. But can you explain what that the significance of that picture is? Yeah. So that that is the um, that picture is the, is the uh, scoreboard at Fenway Park. Um, obviously, home of the Boston Red Sox. Uh, but that's also the scoreboard after the game of my first major league victory for the Texas Rangers. And I was, um, it was 2004. It was Labor Day weekend, um, beautiful, um, picturesque weekend in fall, early fall weekend in Boston. 
and it was my third major league start against the Red Sox. Um, I think we went into the series having lost eight or nine games in a row and the Red Sox came into the series having won eight or nine games in a row. Uh, we had, I think Schilling pitched against us Friday night. Um, Wakefield was Saturday and Pedro was Sunday and I drew Wakefield on Saturday. Um, the team came out and scored some early runs and gave me a, a lead. And then I was able to kind of keep it there for five and a third or five and two thirds innings. And, uh, and we went, we ended up winning the game eight to six. So um, the sixth spot wasn't all mine. I think I gave up one of those six, but anyway, on the scoreboard, you don't know who gave up what. So uh, anyway, <laughs> post game, post game, um, one of my good friends from college who was at the game had the wherewithal to snap a picture of the scoreboard. And so you can kind of see it's the scoreboard. I don't know if you can read it or not, but it says young one and one. I had a loss at that point, but no win and um, in Wakefield and then the, uh, the line. So really, really special. But the cool part about that day wasn't just that it was my first major league win was also, they were filming the movie fever pitch that day. So they were recreating opening day for that game, even though it was September 3rd or 4th, uh, they recreated opening day and Stephen King throughout the first pitch and they had a huge flag draped over the green monster and um, there was an energy in the in the ballpark, which was a lot of fun. And, uh, and so, you know, I'm often asked, what's my most memorable opening day? I say, well, I never pitched on an actual opening day, but I did pitch opening day in September for the movie Fever Pitch. And, uh, <laughs> and Drew Barrymore and Jimmy Fallon were in the stands. So it's a, it, it really, it's a special memory for me. And I, I, it's like a life gift that my friend gave me by taking a picture in that moment um, that otherwise I would have never had. So it's, it's pretty, pretty cool. And so while it's not a ranger background. Um, it is a ranger background in a lot of ways. One of the questions I was going to ask you really was just, you know, what does that transition feel like? Like how often do you just want to like suit up and run out on the field? I mean, I, you know, I know uh, being the general manager, you obviously don't get as many of those opportunities to uh, do that kind of thing, but how has that transition been for you, you know, post uh, professional career uh, now being more the manager and, and, you know, running things from afar? Well, um, to answer your first question in terms of running out on the field, while I was um, a good baseball player, you know, for a number of years, I have so much respect for these guys and know that there is no way I can do what they do anymore. These guys are are the best athletes in the world at what they do. My, I had my time and um, I, I even in the last three or three and a half years since I walked away, I think the game has improved that much more. Um, the talent level of today's player is as good as it's ever been. And I will never be the guy that said, um, you know, the game's gotten worse or it's easier now than it used to be. Um, I, I just don't subscribe to that. I think the game just only evolves and gets gets tougher. So um, I have not had the itch to run out on the field. Um, I miss the competitive aspects of it. I miss the daily um, routine of preparing and going through a strength and conditioning program and everything that goes into the preparation aspects of it. But the physical grind and the mental grind that these guys go through, um, I think I'm experiencing in a different way now <laughs> and, and uh, without being able to control the outcome as much. Um, but in, in, in terms of what it's been like in, in terms of the job, um, you know, it's been a, a learning experience. Everything has been new to me in this in this calendar year uh, since I took the job. I've been on it 10 months now, and uh, I learn every single day. Um, but I'm extremely grateful to John Daniels, um, you know, to Ray Davis and the team that we have in place who have allowed me uh, to really explore so many different areas of the baseball ops um, uh, department. 
and um, you know, weigh in and um, reconfigure or redo things that I think should be done uh, differently, or um, you know, lend support to things, to the great things that they have in place. So everything has been a learning um, experience for me this year. At the end of the day, I, I think there are kind of two things that I really understand, one of which is baseball, and the second is people and culture. And um, when you kind of bring those, those two together, it, it creates a successful environment where you maximize the potential of, of your players and that's really my main objective here. Yeah. Well, I mean, how, what, what is that, that uh, conversation like? I mean, being given the opportunity to rework an organization like that. I mean, you, you, you mentioned at the top of the interview, how much you just kind of respect and admire the organization. So what is that like coming in, knowing that you've got some work to do to rework things and, and some rebuilding on the team and, you know, like, do you tread lightly? Do you come in and, and swing the sledgehammer? I mean, what, what does that look like for you? So I think it's been a gradual uh, process. Um, certainly, you know, we have to acknowledge where we are. Um, this is our fifth consecutive losing season. We lost 102 games. Um, if things were functioning perfectly, I, I probably wouldn't be here, frankly, um, mm -hmm. that, you know, there wouldn't be a need. So I think that part of my job and my role and responsibilities was to come in and evaluate and make suggestions and um, make changes where necessary. And I think that we've been through that. It's been a lot of difficult conversations. Um, but I think also in a way, this is the clearest and freshest um, outlook I will ever have um, coming in from the outside. And so as you get into the weeds of things, it's a little bit more difficult and challenging to see um, some, some things that need to be retweaked or changed at times. And, uh, you know, I think my fresh perspective has allowed an element of that. And um, ultimately, you know, I, I, we've made some of those changes. I think that we're getting the right leadership team in place um, to set us up for long-term success. And I'm very excited about um, where we are and what we have ahead. Yeah. What kind of work, you know, can, can you expect or, or uh, should the organization expect in the off season? I mean, what, what, what is that going to look like for everyone involved? For now, we have a ton of work to do. We've got a lot of, uh, you know, um, decisions to make in terms of our staffing. Um, we've made some changes with our big league coaching staff. We've made some changes within our player development system and the um, coaches and staff there. So we're restructuring things. And, um, and so we're starting, um, I almost feel like the last four weeks have been dedicated to human resources and, uh, and really restaffing and going through interviews and um, finding the right, the right leaders to move us forward. And so, um, you know, it's been a learning curve in that regard, but certainly, um, you know, we've got a team of people um, helping going through this process. And at the end, we're trying to identify the right people that match our values and can take our organization um, uh, move us forward the ways that are necessary. And, uh, and so I'm excited about that. Um, and that's in terms of our big league coaching staff. That's in terms of we're looking for a bench coach, hitting coaches, uh, farm director, director of minor league operations. Um, so there are a number of positions and, and, um, and then several minor league coaches as well. So, um, you know, that's, that's the main priority at this point. Um, we're also starting our free agency planning, uh, our off-season planning. We're evaluating our roster and who stays on and, and uh, what changes may be necessary there. And, um, you know, at some point we'll evaluate the trade market as well and really explore every possible way to uh, improve our team so that our fans never experience a year like 2021 in terms of our record. Chris, I have a few questions about leadership. Uh, and you, you mentioned the C word culture. I'm a, I know this is not something that shows up directly on a box score, or, you know, on baseball reference or pro football reference, whatever sport you're, 
you're investigating. And I don't this is not a novel opinion, but I, I am a big believer in the impact of culture and bringing out the best in people. How do you come into a role and influence, impact, change culture when you don't even have it's not like you're you're around 10 people and those 10 people are all in the office. There are hundreds of people, players, staff, some are in Texas, some are in Arizona, some are on the East coast. They're all scattered throughout. How do you find a way to, to maybe not yourself directly connect, but make sure everyone is connected in whatever culture you're trying to establish? Yeah, Jared, it's a great question. And by no means do I have it figured out in terms of, um, you know, having a track record or experience doing this. What I can tell you is that, um, I think it's, un- I think it's extremely important to one evaluate, um, for me coming in and just making, um, swift change just for the sake of making change was not something I, I believe in and was willing to do. I really wanted to get to know, um, as many people within the organization. And that's what this year has been for me is trying to, to bounce around and see as many people, um, evaluate what areas of the organization are functioning well and the culture and morale are high. And then understanding what areas that maybe need some improvement and um, the areas that have needed some attention is probably are probably the areas that I've spent the most time this year. And it's um, frankly where we've seen some of the changes. And uh, in terms of setting the culture, I think it starts with a vision. I think it starts with a vision and everybody understanding what we're trying to accomplish, what our collective goal is, and then explaining how we're going to get there. And I, I, I don't take lightly that people have heard it before um, and that it's rhetoric until you show them with action, um, that action is, is much more influential um, and valuable than words. Um, but really establishing and trying to get to be connected to, to every member of our organization. And, um, and frankly, I have a ways to go in terms of that. Um, there are a number of people within the organization I have not connected with on an individual basis yet. Uh, but collectively, I think in terms of the leadership I have, and I think everyone understands, um, you know, hopefully who I am and um, how I value relationships and people in a collaborative environment and um, in humility. And so I think that as we you know, root our values and principles in those things, um, and everybody has a collective understanding, they start to understand, okay, um, you know, this is, if I match those things and I... Um, and I can um, exhibit those characteristics on a daily basis, along with my abilities to um, teach a skill or provide a service that, um, that, that, you know, I was hired to do, then certainly I think that people understand they have a spot in our organization and that we're going to, you know, collectively get to a good spot long-term. So that's a long answer of saying that really just getting to know people and trying to make them feel comfortable and be authentic, transparent, genuine, and show humility. I mean, I'm asking you to, to answer a question that probably, you know, could be an hour long conversation in and of itself too. So I, I I'm, I'm probably not putting you, uh, you know, in, in a, in a winning spot there, but I, I'm also curious about problem solving and, and I guess that can be perceived in, in a variety of ways. I don't necessarily mean uh, stuck on the side of the road, flat tire, although I guess that, you know, in a way is, is a part of it, but you, you join an organization. I'm sure you had situations as a player when you worked for the league where there's a need and, and you're tasked with in addressing the need, fixing, improving. What, what's the process? And, and I think there's probably overlap in, in the answer you just gave regarding culture. But sure. how do you 
how do you address those challenges of, hey, we got an issue. We need someone to bring ideas, help fix yeah. it. How do you go about that? Well, I think the first thing is really understanding where the needs are. Um, you know, and I think that's been a big part of the season is just stepping back and seeing where the needs are. And really, as I've gone about it, I've tried to just observe, listen, ask questions. Um, I, I, this has been, like I said, a learning experience for me. And as I've had with every conversation I've had with every member of our organization and then outsiders as well, uh, I, I've, I've taken away something that I've learned from everybody. And um, as you get bits and pieces of information from a number of different spots, and you start to hear collective themes um, or uh, concerns, you can start assessing where the needs are and then evaluating within those needs if the right um, systems or processes or even leadership is, is um, in place to, to solve those things. And so that's, that's been the way I've approached it. And um, it's really just been a lot of conversations, a lot of listening, a lot of asking questions and understanding um, kind of the way things have been done and why they've been done a certain way and seeing if it kind of aligns with one, our values, and secondly, the best um, ways within the industry to, to improve our players and um, put a winning team on the field. What, what's translated about your experience from the field, you know, into the front office? I mean, are, are there aspects that you feel like have, uh, you, are you bringing over completely and, and you learned a lot and, and can apply it there? Well, I think there's just a couple things, one of which is hard work. Um, it's everything is rooted in hard work. And for me, nothing, I, I had a mantra as a player that it's a performance-based game and the game owes you nothing. And so anytime that I felt like things weren't going my way, I kind of looked myself in the mirror and said, well, if, if I don't like it, fix it, um, go, go perform better. And so um, that same mentality kind of applies to this. It's, it's, you, you have to be committed to the work and, um, you know, so much of playing and being a teammate is rooted in relationships and, um, you know, being a teammate, um, you know, putting, making sacrifice, showing a discipline, but make, making sacrifices for the good of the team. Mm -hmm. And it's no different in this role too. Um, it's, it's um, really establishing relationships and understanding people and what makes them tick and what drives them and motivates them. And, and then, you know, hopefully inspiring them to have um, buy-in to a collective vision, um, which, which we have. And I, you know, um, I think those things all translate. I think it's all the, you know, the person, the characteristics and the um, kind of the intangible aspects of being a player that, that certainly apply to, to this side as well. And um, I'm grateful for my experiences as a player uh, because I think they've, they've, you know, they've prepared me for a number of things. Now, there are a number of things that don't translate to that I'm still learning. But in terms of just dealing with people and understanding um, what makes people tick and what motivates them, I, I think that there are a lot of things as a player and how to be part of a team. I, th those things apply, no doubt. Well, you know, you hear all the time different like pitchers kind of talking about other pitchers they like watching or, you know, uh, players sort of commenting on people in similar positions and, and how they do in the league. Are there other general managers you like? I mean, what, what, where, uh, where are you looking for inspiration? Where are you looking for kind of direction on, on how to, to write the ship and, and push things, you know, in a different way for, for the Rangers? Yeah, Jay, it's a great question. I mean, I, I think it's uh, first and foremost, I, um, I have a great mentor in John Daniels, who has been a friend of mine for a long time and somebody I, I um, trust, but also admire um, both as a friend and a professional. 
And so it, it starts with that. I mean, uh, just every day um, having conversations with JD and learning from him and, um, you know, hopefully he's learning little things from me that uh, I don't know what I can tell him or provide to him that he doesn't already know. But that said, um, he's been a wonderful partner in this and it's been extremely great to learn from him. Um, you know, on a broader level, really that, that was the beauty of my previous job at major league baseball, um, working in the commissioner's office is that I was able to, to establish relationships with all 30 general managers or presidents, um, even some, most of the owners, and then also all 30 field managers. So I really, I've been able to learn from each and every one and, and within each organization, understanding why certain organizations operate the way they do, um, why some are successful, why some aren't, but um, really have taken away from each and every one of those um, um, executives or managers within the game. And um, again, by no means do I have any of it figured out, but I just, I, I do know that um, with every conversation, I learned something. Awesome. I don't want to get you in trouble, but there's a, there's an executive in the family who you did not mention. Uh, and that is your, your father-in-law, uh, Dick Patrick, who's <laughs> been involved in, in the Washington Capitals organization for a long time, a president, I believe uh, a part of the ownership group. Uh, and then your, your wife lives is great grandfather, Lester Patrick, they're hockey fans familiar with that name an award named after him. And, uh, you know, one of the, the I guess, uh, you know, most influential members of, of, any, of the NHL. And I know that hockey and baseball are different, but from like a, a, an executive leadership standpoint, what are some of the things you've learned uh, from your wife's side of the family and their experiences? Yeah, Jared, it's, um, you know, it's, it's a great question because Dick has been an unbelievable mentor to me. Um, he's a wonderful father-in-law, first and foremost, but also, uh, you know, the, the number of times that I've leaned on him for advice throughout my playing career and then now into to this role as well. Um, it's been wonderful. But I think that more than anything, um, I've learned the value of patience from him. He is not a reactive person. He's a very, very um, thoughtful person who really processes. Um, he doesn't like to make rash decisions and just the ability to um, evaluate and let things play out and understand that the process needs time to work. And he, he is wonderful in that regard and always provides amazing advice. But um, I even probably have learned more from him just by watching him as much as um, having conversations with him. But I'm unbelievably fortunate to have, um, you know, a, a great father-in-law and, uh, and also a very supportive wife as well. <laughs> have you ever gotten on skates? <laughs> I have not. I, uh, you know, funny story, my family, Liz's family, uh, they used to have a tradition where every Thanksgiving, the family would have a, uh, a skate and they would do that in the morning before having a turkey in the afternoon. And so um, that was before I was uh, in the family. But I guess one of the first times doing that, um, her brother-in-law, who married her older sister, uh, went down. He was from Boston, so he'd skated before, but he went down and I think broke his nose um, on Thanksgiving Day. So uh, <laughs> I learned not to uh, partake in that. So I have not skated and have no desire to. I've had too many surgeries. <laughs> um, all right. So want to I have a few Rangers memory questions to ask yeah. that thankfully don't involve skating. But first, uh, thinking towards the future, uh, the next generation of Rangers baseball. And, and, and I know you and, and JD in the front office have already put in work towards that, but uh, what is, when, when you think of the, the players who are in the organization who could be a part of that, and, and I don't want to put you in a position where you feel like you have to name everyone and, and don't want to leave anyone out. So 
I'm trying to think of the best way to, to ask this, but what, what stands out to you when you just take a survey of, of what the Rangers have in this farm system that, uh, you know, for, for which the arrow appears to just be pointing up and, and getting better and getting better and eventually, obviously, hopefully paying off at the big league level? Yeah, Jared, I mean, it's, it's, um, there are a number of reasons to be optimistic in terms of where we are as an organization. Um, and a lot of it is rooted in our minor league system and the level of uh, one talent, but also the depth uh, that we have within the system. Um, I think that, you know, I can say while we don't rely on public, um, on, on um, publications, um, public publications to, or rankings to evaluate our own. Um, certainly, I think industry-wide, uh, everybody has acknowledged the, the jumps that our organization has taken over the past um, 12 to 18 months. And so I think that's one a level of excitement and hope um, for our fans. I, I think that most teams that become playoff teams, uh, right before they, they kind of that window opens, uh, they really have a top farm system. I think we're close to having that. I think after next season, when we have um, another good draft, we will be um, the, the level of depth in our minor leagues will be as good as anywhere. And I'm very excited about that. Um, I don't want to get into specific players because I don't want to put pressure on those guys or yeah. make them think they're the chosen one, so to speak. Um, but I think that we have a number of players that are on our top prospect list. Uh, that all can be a very, very uh, important part of our future. Um, that said, I recognize that prospects are simply that. They're prospects until they have success at a major league level. So, um, you know, within our big league team, I think there are core pieces that um, really have, have had good seasons this year. Um, you know, on the position player side, I think obviously uh, Kiner, Adolis, and Nate um, really stood out. Um, in terms of the way they perform. Now, I, we've challenged each of them that they have to get better too. Um, and that's organization-wide. We've challenged everybody, that myself included. We all have to get better. Um, but if those guys continue to take the next step, I think that they showed some things this year that could certainly be part of the future. Um, on the pitching side, what we saw from Taylor and Dane Dunning this year was really, really encouraging. I think we have some young bullpen arms that, uh, you know, that could be part of the future, but it's all predicated on these guys continuing to improve. Um, what we are excited about is a level of competition within the organization that um, pushes you to, to perform um, to the best of your ability. And there, there's not going to be, um, you know, a, too long of a grace period. If you're not performing, there's going to be the guy in line right behind you to come earn that spot if you're not getting the job done. And that's a wonderful thing for an organization because I think it, it brings out the best in, in competitors and um, ultimately the, the best players kind of thrive off that and they, they can, um, they, they, they seize the opportunity and we're getting to that point. So it's pretty exciting, you know, where we are. I think that um, this offseason is important for us in terms of adding the right free agents. I think we have um, some money to spend. We can find the right free agents that fit our culture, our values, and will be part of our, our run moving forward. Um, this, our championship window opens. And they'll provide the right leadership for all of these young players who are going to have the opportunity to, uh, to step in and, um, and be part of our future. All right. So this is the, the straight up Texas podcast presented by Whataburger. So we got to ask you some Texas related questions. And, and I mentioned Rangers memories. So I'm sure you've been asked a ton, your favorite memories growing up. I'm going to put a different spin on it. Uh, not as a player. I know you were traded as a player. Uh, so when you were just a fan, is there a trade that the Rangers made that 
you just, for whatever reason, remember, and, and I'll give you a second to think about it. For me, I was barely old enough to remember watching these games, but in 1996, I remember the Rangers traded uh, for John Burkett. And really the only reason I remember it, I had, I was too young to really know the significance uh -huh. of who he was and, and uh, you know, ended up, uh, I think throwing a complete game in the, the first ever playoff game in franchise history, but I was told he bowled a 300 and I, like for whatever reason, I just thought that was really cool. The Rangers traded for a guy who bowled a 300, which hopefully is not, you know, on the criteria of moves you make. Uh, but it was just a random. So I remember that trade for whatever reason. I know Rick Helling and Ryan Dempster went to the Marlins. Uh, right. And I remember the Rangers got John Burke. Is there a trade or, or just an acquisition that the Rangers made when you were a fan growing up that you just can't forget for whatever reason? Um, yeah, I think there's several. I mean, I think the first one that I, I truly kind of remember was, uh, Sammy Sosa, um, the Sammy Sosa trade. And, um, and I think we got Harold Baines back in return, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and maybe there were other uh, players involved, but Harold Baines coming over and, uh, kind of an older veteran player DH and, um, you know, and giving up Sammy Sosa. And you, at that point, nobody knew what Sammy Sosa was going to become, but, uh, obviously that one stands out. Um, you know, and then uh, Nolan Ryan, when the Rangers signed Nolan Ryan to me, that was I, I was 10 years old and I was ecstatic. I mean, I was so excited that the Rangers were going to have this legendary pitcher. And it, um, I think, enhanced my love of the Rangers, but also of baseball. And um, it really became a passion of mine to try to see him pitch as much as possible. I remember, you know, getting the sports page and counting out, looking at the calendar and the, uh, the schedule and um, in the sports page and mapping out when Nolan Ryan would pitch. And true story, I weeks before um, had mapped out that if Nolan Ryan averages, you know, 10 strikeouts a game for the next five games, he's going to get his 5,000 um, this night. So convinced my parents to buy tickets for that game. We sat out in the left field bleachers and it was the night he got his 5,000 strikeouts. So certainly the Nolan Ryan um, acquisition stood, stands out to me as, as one of the most memorable of my childhood and Rangers fandom. So what about just Texas memories in general? What was growing up in Texas like for you? Uh, outdoors? Uh, would you, you mostly stay up in, in Dallas? <laughs> Yeah, hot. Yeah, hot. Uh, uh, but no, no hunting for me, a little bit of fishing, but just sports. My life revolved around sports. It's similar to what I'm watching my kids go through now. Um, just kind of a, a great childhood where, um, you know, always outdoors playing something with family uh, or, or friends in the neighborhood and, um, and, and you know, watching the, the Mavericks and the Rangers and the Cowboys and then the Stars when they came. Um, you know, that's, that's what I have. And then just summer camps playing sports. That's uh, the best way to describe it, but um, that's probably not unique to Texas per se, but I think it is unique to, you know, to North Texas in a lot of ways. And um, all of our Ranger fans and kids coming out to our ballpark. I mean, they, they all are involved in activities and um, we want to give them a reason to, to love baseball the same way the Rangers gave me a reason. What's your, uh, what's your ideal barbecue plate made up of? What's that, what's that lineup look like? Yeah, brisket, um, jalapeno sausage, but we got to go with brisket. I like ribs, but I always judge a barbecue place by their brisket. Um, I don't like uh, too much sauce. I like the sauce on the side so you can taste the bark on the brisket and understand uh, how well it was seasoned. And then, um, you know, normally a potato salad and a baked bean um, to go with it. And, uh, and um, I, you know, I'm a sweet tea fan too. So, um, yeah. but yes, I'm picky with my barbecue. 
Yeah, you sound like a man who knows what he wants. Are, are you in a fatty or lean? Right in between. It can't be too moist, but okay. um, yeah. but I also don't like it too lean because it gets dry too. So it's got to be right in between. If you're able to, you know, get some time away uh, and and just take a drive for a day or you know a weekend, where else in the state do you visit? Oh, um, well, right now it's, it's all the North Texas suburbs where my kids games are, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's, it really is. I, it's every weekend. And, and frankly, it's more my wife doing it than me. Cause uh, during the season, I've been out at the ballpark. So I actually caught my first games last weekend. Um, and, uh, and so, but you know, the Hill country is probably my favorite part of Texas. Um, absolutely beautiful area. And I think that, um, you know, any chance that we can get to, to kind of escape and go down and hang out there is, is would be our first choice. But um, there's so many cool parts. Um, but really, you know, my the extent to which I've uh, explored Texas this year has been Frisco, Round Rock, and then a car ride out through El Paso uh, on the way to Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> See, why I, we'll, we'll end on this. Uh, who is someone you met that even if you weren't like anticipating it being this, this powerful meeting, it, that conversation, that meeting meant a lot. And who's someone you have not met uh, who you would like to meet. Hmm. And this is not specific to Rangers or. Nope. Could be anyone, anything, anywhere. Oh, that's a great question. Um, in living, I presume, or is it anybody over the course of time? It, it, for the, for the, someone not you'd like that. to meet, it could be anyone. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I've met so many great people. Um, baseball has provided uh, really an opportunity for me to, to, you know, have access and meet so many amazing people and have conversations that I never would have dreamt of. Um, and there's just so many that I'd probably be doing it a disservice to choose one of those. But, um, you know, Jared, I, th I think really, you know, my parents, but specifically my dad who passed away six years ago, um, you know, just, just our conversations, our love of sports, um, love of the Rangers, uh, you know, those just great childhood memories. And he was a part of every one of them. And now I'm seeing that with my own children and having the same, you know, similar experiences while my dad wasn't the general manager of the Texas Rangers. Um, you know, he still took me to enough games and worked hard for our family to, to allow us to do that. And, uh, and really a lot of who I am is, is because of what he taught me and those conversations. And, um, you know, I, I wish, you know, it'd be wonderful to have, um, to still have those. I know he's still a Ranger fan and watching us daily, but, uh, but, uh, but nonetheless, you know, my dad has probably been the one who, um, you know, has, has impacted me the most or had, um, the most impactful conversations in my life in terms of, uh, someone that I've never met that I'd love to, um, you know, there, there, there are a number of people. I, I think that, you know, Jackie Robinson is one who stands out. Um, I, I wrote my senior thesis in college about Jackie Robinson, and I certainly uh, just the opportunity to, to meet such an um, amazing person who was ahead of his time and really changed the world, not only our sport, but the world uh, for the better uh, is pretty special. And then, um, you know, I'm trying to think of anybody else. So Jackie Robinson certainly the one, just given the baseball ties and really what he meant for, for you know, for the game, but also um, the civil rights movement, you know, 20 years really before the civil rights movement even commenced. Yeah, so much bigger than baseball. That's right. Uh, Chris, we really appreciate it. Thanks so much for taking the time and, and being a guest on the Straight Up Texas podcast presented by Whataburger. 
Uh, we look forward to uh, chatting with you in the future. Well, I love that the Straight Up Texas broadcast is sponsored by Whataburger. There's no better <laughs> Straight Up Texas thing than um, than that. So you, I love it. You got a go to go to order there, either for you or the kids. Oh yeah, it's it's cheeseburger. Um, I go um, mustard. I go mayo instead of mustard. But beyond that, like fries are the best in Texas. I love it, and uh, yeah, that's our go to cheeseburgers, no doubt. Man, you had me the whole. You had me the whole episode until that uh, until the mayonnaise, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, well, you try it. Give it a shot. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. That's uh, Rangers general manager Chris Young joining us on the Straight Up Texas podcast presented by Whataburger. 